Have you ever wondered if having a multitude of talents, passions, skills, or a diverse background or education makes you a jack of all trades and master of none? What if it made you a Renaissance individual? Our guest on this episode of the League of Visionaries podcast is living proof of this transdisciplinary approach to a visionary message. Janet Dupree is a leadership and organizational development consultant, an ally and guide to leaders who want to solve important, complex problems. Janet's MSc in the Management of Technology and Innovation, completed cum laude, explored collaborative stakeholder engagement in the context of wicked problems. It earned Janet the Da Vinci Institute's Mandala Award, granted in recognition of the integration, heterogeneity, and transdisciplinarity evident in the research. Janet is a skilled strategist, process designer, speaker, facilitator, and strengths-based executive coach. Her leadership and consulting experience and previous studies in health sciences, psychology, and business have equipped her well to serve clients in the emerging technology-driven imaginable next. She has been honing her understanding of people, their choices, and behaviors for more than 40 years. This understanding has deepened dramatically in the 16 years that she has been coaching leaders using Gallup's Clifton Strengths tool. Meet a Renaissance individual. Janet Dupree. Welcome to the League of Visionaries podcast, where we meet experts, entrepreneurs, and enthusiasts with a visionary message to share. This podcast is brought to you by Yazi Media Virtual Media House. Yazi Media is a proud media partner of the PSASA Convention 2024. We dedicate this second season of the podcast to the speakers and other visionaries behind this premier event for the speaking community. I'm your host, Marie LaRue, and this is the League of Visionaries podcast. Janet Dupree, welcome to the League of Visionaries podcast. It's delightful to have you here at last. Marie, it is such a joy to be with you. I'm very excited for this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here, especially because you are speaking about a topic that is essential at this time in history. Leadership, teaming, the understanding of people's unique learning styles and approaches has always been important. But at the moment, I could even say the world is at a crisis point. We need help with this. And that all feeds into your visionary message. How would you put that into a nutshell? So it's really interesting that you actually even asked that question. I have in my Astute Leader program, I ask people to, to do this exercise. I ask them to define the message that they want to roar to the world. Uh, and I have to be honest and say I have two. So my two messages that I desperately want to roar to the world. The first one is watch Africa. I am besotted with this continent. I'm telling the world, watch Africa. And my second message, and probably the one we'll focus on a little bit more, is that astute leading impacts real world challenges. Right. I, I think that deserves some unpacking. I love the roar because that is really where we want those those messages to go to really be proud and confident and fierce even about it. But I'd love to ask you about your astute approach. You speak about an astute ecosystem, astute leaders, astute teams. What is that astuteness about? It's one of my favorite words of the moment. So uh, this is a perfect match what does it mean <laughs> in your world yeah that is a really juicy a juicy juicy word um and i was just so delighted when i found not many people were using it certainly not in branding so i grabbed it um and 
oh, there's quite a story behind this, which uh, I am sure you can imagine. I have been learning about leadership for the better part of the last 40 years. Those books are not for show. They've mostly been read. And whatever role I was in, I was learning about leadership and organizations and organizational effectiveness. And shortly before COVID, in the sort of three years before COVID, I was very involved with an organization called Disrupt HR. Uh, with some colleagues, we were running the Joburg franchise of Disrupt, and we were really exploring the impact of the fourth industrial revolution, digital transformation, all of those little cliches we were chucking around before the world got swept up in the pandemic. And I had developed a deep appreciation for the for the notion of where are we going and how is the world going to be shifting? And then, of course, it shifted completely off its axis. Um, and that changed a whole lot of things. And I think most of us at that time were really looking at what are we doing? And, and how do we focus in on what's most important right now? And so in the first sort of six months of 2020, I was radically reinventing my organization anyway. But I settled on the fact that in this crazy digital transformation world and in a world that is going to be following in the wake of COVID, not in the next two months, but probably in the next three years, what is that going to require of leaders particularly? And so during the, the disrupt HR, disrupt Josie phase, we'd been seeing everybody, you know, these are the four critical skills of, you know, um, leading in the fourth industrial revolution, not even leading. These are the skills you're going to need to survive in the 21st century. And somebody had eight and other people had five. And I won't mention any of the names because some of them are part of our community. I started collecting all those lists and discovered that when I put all of the lists together, there were 50 skills. And I thought, well, you can't put out a list of 50 skills. So I That's not sounding them. very sexy. <laughs> all you need is these 50 skills. <laughs> yeah. Believe it or not, McKinsey actually did. And they came to pretty much the same number. Wow. But but I clustered those 50 skills into four critical competencies, which I call andro-rhythms. That's a beautiful word coined by a guy called Gerd Leonard, who's a futurist. And these four andro-rhythms, which are the patterns of human behavior that we need to survive. And, and human leadership in this 21st century um, became the Astute Leader Framework. And from there, we developed a program called the Astute Leader Program, which launches finally and officially in, in the beginning of 2024. Mm. And building around that is, you know what? Leaders don't learn to lead on a program. We can, we can shift their thinking. We can, we can challenge their ideas and their paradigms, which I think is so important. But actually, they need to be a part of an ecosystem mm. where leading, learning to lead better is, is the ethos. Um, and so there is this vision. Your, one of your questions that you posed for me to think about is what is the ideal? So I'm jumping straight in with that right now. And the ideal is to have this global astute leader ecosystem where people across the globe are leading in, 20, in 21st century appropriate ways. Mm. And more importantly, that they are tackling the complex, changing and conflictual challenges that are assaulting us on every front. Um, does that answer the question? Whoa, and does it ever. And I must say, for andro-rhythms, what a beautiful word. Works a lot better than 50 things that you, like 50 is overwhelming and uh, and and four is manageable. And I, I do think there's a breakdown of how each one of those four areas then um, translates into the many sub-skills. That is really empowering. And, and congratulations on uh, building up a program like that, that can, that is about to see the light. And, and by the time that we get to the convention, of course, I, I trust it's going to be flying because leaders need that kind of support right now. And um, I, I also love the fact that you speak of the astute leadership, the, the astute team and the astute ecosystem, 
because that really relates to how everybody works together. Everything is a part of this. It's uh, There is a significant responsibility on the shoulders of leaders, but there's that very valid question. So who's a leader? And um, shall we go there? Shall we go there? Let's go there. Let's go there, Janet. Who's a leader? I am so glad you asked that question. And I think the paradigm has shifted around even that simple question. There are two main points that that I like to make in regard to, to leadership. Number one is that I don't believe that leaders are the ones at the top of the hierarchy and then you get managers and then you get everybody else. I don't believe that. I personally believe that every single one of us has agency and needs to show up with a leadership mentality, with an understanding that we have influence and that we can and should be intentional about how we use that. Um, That I think, first point about leadership. So leadership is not a title. Leadership is not for an elite group of, of, of people. Every single one of us needs to actually be an astute leader. Second, second thought around leadership, um, there's been an age-old debate around what's leadership and what's management. And I have a very simple way of, of looking at that. Um, whether you're called a leader or called a manager, you have to harness resources in order to make stuff happen, to change the world, to solve problems. You have two types of resource. The one is human resources and the other is non-human resources. The processes, the assets, the capital, the money, the a lot of that is about money. Um the the the, the buildings, the mm. the vehicles, all of those are non-human assets. You cannot lead any one of the non-human assets. That's management. That's leadership management. is the people. Leadership mm. is the people. And we have to stop, sorry, I'm getting on a hobby horse, but we have to stop talking about performance management. We have to talk about performance enablement leadership. and performance improvement. We need to stop talking about change management and talk about change leadership, change enablement, change mentality. Okay, I'll get off my hobby horse. Leadership that is, so is valid. about yeah. the people. And yes, it's about setting magnificent strategies and inspiring people and encouraging them and empathizing and all of those things. It's always about the people and how we move people. There's so much language around leadership that is wrong. We don't make people do things. We don't get people to do things. It's how do we enroll people to shift the systems and the challenges that we have to deal with. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. I'm I'm reminded of a wonderful school principal who used to say to his teachers, right, we know that story about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Now, the way that he put it was, how do we make the horse thirsty? And and in a school, of course, for a principal, there's a dual, a dual tier of leadership because there are the teachers and of course there's there's other stuff um but then it's all about the learners in the end and how do we bring that through how do we take that ripple of leadership that is expanding out and really see the end purpose yeah so i I have a similar phrase i often say we cannot force people to engage we can only create a context in which they choose to Mm, mm. that's very interesting very very interesting um because that um and the the environment that makes it possible is something that in whatever we're doing and many many things we do actually qualifies as leadership under the definition that you've given here um many people who are in our post-pandemic world now working for themselves or um, starting businesses speakers most certainly entrepreneurs many professionals we need to well for our results things need to happen and for those things to happen people need to move 
So uh, to to align to what you're saying about the language is not, we do not get people to do something, but what is the environment that makes it possible? Uh, On a a recent episode of this podcast, I was speaking to Anthony Steers, who's known as the telephone assassin. So uh, he speaks of creating an environment that helps people to make the decision to buy. And when it comes to sales, that is what leadership drives, right? But very much the same thing. When we want to see a result, what are we doing to make it an easy, natural, organic option? Yeah. And Marie, I think just maybe this is a good point to bring in the topic for for the PSA SA convention that I will be speaking mm-hmm. to. which is around adapting to different learning styles or to people's different strengths. Um, I've worked with the Gallup Clifton Strengths tool for more than 15 years. I am absolutely passionate about it as a tool. Uh, If we have time, there are four reasons why I think it's brilliant. But we have time. We have time. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. For that, we have time. Brilliant. But but I'm making you a trade, Janet. I want to hear your top five. Okay. I'll tell okay. you my. I'll, I'll I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Yes. <laughs> but tell me your four reasons first. Why Strengths Finder is so powerful? I, I think it is so brilliant. Number one is because it focuses on what's right with people and not what's wrong with them. But it doesn't ignore their vulnerabilities and their and their non talents. Number one. Second reason it uses everyday English language. Mm. There are all these incredible. They are they really good tools out there. Myers Briggs, Enneagram. You know, on an Enneagram, I'm a seven. Well, what does that mean to somebody who doesn't know Enneagram? What does it mean if I tell you that I'm an INTJ if you don't know the Myers-Briggs? But if I tell you that I am, and here they come, number one, I I have input. Number two, I have relator. Number three, I am a maximizer. Number four, I have individualization. And number five, I have learner. All five of those words mean something to you. Mm-hmm. You may need to spend some time unpacking with me what they really mean and what they mean in a Gallup context. But if we're in a team and I share that with you and you're going to share yours with me now, we have already some level of understanding of each other that's not really complex. So that's the second reason. Everyday English language. Third reason is that it doesn't put people into boxes. We've got ah. four box models and 16 box models and nine box models. Yeah. The strength standard does not put people into boxes. It looks at 34 talent themes and the beauty is the dynamics between them. So that my learner probably looks very different to your learner. Have you got learner? Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Because we have different strengths packed around each one of those strengths. And, and I love the uniqueness. I told you I have individualization. And the final reason why I absolutely love the tool is because my clients, when they get their reports, feel like they're looking in the mirror and they're going, this is me. This is more me than anybody has ever explained me to me before. Wow. Four reasons I love the tool. (laughs) Now tell me yours. (laughs) Wow. I'll, I'll tell you the reason why I'm a sucker for good visuals and I just love the new uh, StrengthsFinder report and how attractive it is. The DNA theme, the color coding, it is just such a brilliant way to organize information. And when I tell you my top five strengths, you're going to say, you'll understand why this fits in with my number one so well. You said your your number one is input? Yes. Same here, (laughs) snap. (laughs) (laughs) So my number one is input, uh, number two, learner, three ideation, four futuristic, and five activator. And I've got maximizer oh. in the top 10 as well. So we've we've got some common ground. <laughs> and as soon as you said you you love visuals, I thought I bet you there's an ideation in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a high one as well. So, so it's really fascinating. And having that tool really helps people to contextualize things. So that's really powerful. If you're enjoying learning from our guests, just imagine attending their presentations and meeting them in person. At the PSASA Convention 2024, you can do just that. 
The PSASA convention is the biggest annual event hosted by the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, the PSASA, a membership body which exists to support the common needs of professional speakers. During its 17-year existence, the convention has been consistently attended by an enthusiastic audience, primarily based in South Africa. It has, however, over the years also become a popular event with international speakers looking to develop their African network. PSASA 2024 is the ideal opportunity to interact with peers and spend time with decision makers in a space where creativity, innovation and connection are at the forefront. Find the link to book your spot at the end of this episode and in the description. I just wanted to make the connection back to what we were saying before, which is that when we want to create a context in which people choose to show up, mm. it's critical that we recognize who they are, mm. that they know who they are, that we know who we are as leaders, and that we have a sense of not only who they are, but what makes them tick. What are the dreams and aspirations and intentions that they have, which so often are related to those strengths? Mm. That's mm. how, as leaders, we make the choice to lead people as individuals, not as groups, mm. engage and enroll them effectively through knowing who they are. It's vital. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. And what you said there about leading individuals, this is one of the things that we hear time and again about leadership. The thing that makes a great leader, when they try and boil it down to any one thing, you can't find any commonalities except for this. And that is that they speak about the individuals rather than the collectives. So, so that really is a key to effective leadership. And that comes from reverse engineering, what makes a good leader. So we know that, that the proof of the pudding is there, right? That's amazing. So exciting. Janet, I want to ask you next, what questions should I be asking you? Oh, what a lovely question. <laughs> One of the things you asked me to think about before was kind of the journey and how I arrived mm -hmm. at these big messages and and I guess what I do in the world. That would be a lovely thing to talk about too. Ooh, love but that. Yes. Journey is part of what I do in the world today. So maybe that is a good question. Yes. So um, so here's the question. Yeah. What was the journey that led you to where you are today and, and the path you are on? Stunning. So um, I started out in a very, very different space. I, many years ago, 40 years ago, I did a BSc nursing degree. And wow. <laughs> I did. Talk about leadership. Wow. Mm. And I always say to people, you know, the thread that came out of my nursing degree was an understanding of complex dynamic systems, the ability mm. to navigate them, to not be afraid of them. And, and to actually lead within that context. So that was nursing. Um, I then specialized in psychiatric nursing. So I have a very strong psychology background. And there I learned to think about people as whole beings. So I have a little acronym that I use. Some of the PSASA people know this already. It's, it's called SPICE with an S. People are spiritual, physical, intellectual, social, and emotional beings. And that concept is woven through everything that I do. So in psych, I learned to deeply appreciate and understand what it is that makes people tick. And I've been learning, I've been learning that for 40 years, continue to learn it. I then moved into the business world, which was quite a surprise, not anything I had expected. And I think there were two really critical um, takeaways from being a leader in, in the commercial world. The first is that understanding of systems and how we make business systems more effective and an absolute passion and fascination with, with that concept. Um, and then secondly, leadership. Um, and what does it mean to lead and what, are, what is effective leadership? What is ineffective leadership? And I experienced plenty of that. Um, so that was that was kind of yeah the 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 business context and then the last part of the puzzle was that only in the last six years 
did I finally manage to complete a master's degree? I tried twice before and life got too busy, so I didn't finish them. But I did a master's, uh, an MSc in the management of technology and innovation at the Da Vinci Institute in, in Johannesburg, which was an incredible learning experience. And I started out wanting to explore the concept of engagement. And I was going to develop a universal framework. And I was really curious because I was very dissatisfied with the existing theory on, on engagement. And that's a topic for another, another day. I'm still deeply, deeply um, dissatisfied with most of what's out there. And even more so having done the study. The eventual topic, the eventual completed dissertation was on improving stakeholder engagement in the context of wicked problems. Mm -hmm. uh, which is another topic for another day. But those four major threads have really led me to the work that I'm fascinated by at the moment. Um, and you'll know with input uh, and, and, and a high maximizer that choosing where you're going to focus can be a little bit challenging. Um, so for now, this is where I'm, I'm playing. These are the things that fascinate me. Wow. Wow. What a, a stunning spectrum. And I, I always think that interdisciplinary insight is such a powerful thing. We don't realize when life takes these interesting twists and turns with our lives and our careers and the things that happen to us. And sometimes even just our, our hobbies, our passions, our interests, how, how much richer we become in the message that we have to share. But I'm fascinated by that nursing start uh, yes. because I, um, uh, if I had a medic alert bracelet, it would say, I would rather die than see a doctor. I'm very, very wary of um, the medical world. And, and I have tremendous respect at the same time for, for the work that is done in it. But, but mm -hmm. when it comes to my body, I like to keep it deinstitutionalized yeah. as far as possible. Um, but in the encounters that I have had with the medical world, I've always been amazed, especially when it comes to nursing. Mm -hmm. And when you see what really happens in a hospital behind the scenes, if, if you have somebody who's in ICU and you're going in there, I, I had that experience for three months while my brother was in a coma and day after day after day the chance of seeing a doctor <laughs> forget about it the nurses are there day after day hour after hour they know everything they don't get the credit but they're really the ones who run the show especially in south africa with our brain drain and um, we so easily underestimate what happens there but the role of leadership and and the human element in there is tremendous and I can only imagine that it equipped you with a tremendous footing and maybe disillusionment as well but also the kind of insight that really helps us understand what makes people tick and I love uh, moving through to psychiatry from there because the um, even from a psych psychological angle which is not necessarily uh, the same thing at all but we saw that obsession in over generations where psychology was about everything that's wrong and then this move towards positive psychology that that came in this century and i i love the way that you fed that through into your message and where you're at today what a, what a fascinating uh, bunch of ingredients to put in the pot and outcomes engagement dynamics <laughs> and I have to say, so two two little things. First of all, I often say to people, you do need to understand. I studied psychology in the 1980s. This was before Martin Seligman coined the phrase positive psychology in 1998. Right. I was so glad when he came along. <laughs> but maybe just to your point also about interdisciplinarity or transdisciplinarity, um, you've given me an opportunity to blow my own trumpet just a little bit, but it's with purpose. Because I could not agree with you more about the importance of transdisciplinarity. And I was very, very, very honored to actually win an award at Divincy, which I received a couple of months ago. They have four awards that they give at the end of each group of students. 
Two of them are exclusively for PhD students. One of them is exclusively for a BCom student. And there is one that anybody can qualify for. And I was doing a master's and I won this award and it's called the Mandala Award. And it is for transdisciplinarity, systems thinking and integration. Um, and I won that award because of exactly what you just described is that I have had, I mean, I'm certainly not going into my full CV. There are so many extraordinary connections that I've had. I'm fascinated by the arts. Um, and that transdisciplinarity has very strongly informed my thinking on leadership, the way that I get to show up in the world. Um, so just to just to endorse what you just said. Wow. Yes. What what a fantastic thing that there is an award like that in the first place. That's yeah. just perfect. But but congratulations on that, because I, I think it it's encouragement for all of us who are wondering if uh, these many different things, you know, we have that that expression that can really leave us hamstrung of uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. And actually, there is so much potential to bring together those many trades and and become the master of something far, far greater. That's really exciting. And also, uh, that is really inspiring because you speak of starting master's degrees and many people have had this experience beginning a project that is huge you know that big hairy scary goal and sometimes we don't make it first time round and knowing that actually the things that happen in the meantime even the things that put you on the detour can be the things that enrich the ultimate experience so Thank you so very much for for sharing that, Janet. And um, you know, may may awards like that continue to inspire. It's it's really about much more than an accolade. It's about yeah. strengthening your message. Yeah, and 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 it's about shifts that are happening in the world. Yes. Uh, I mean, when I started studying, there's no ways forty years ago that that kind of award would have existed. I was only too delighted to find a university where I was allowed and encouraged to be transdisciplinary in my thinking, because mm. that's something that was inculcated into me in a really amazing school 50 years ago. Mm. And it doesn't happen very often in the world. So, and I, and I think maybe just, just in terms of the people who are listening to this podcast, Marie, you know what, the leaders of this world respond and I mean the real leaders the ones who are showing up as astute leaders we are responsible to shift the paradigms yes. and to and to go with our gut sometimes and and make the dreams happen and solve the frustrations that we have that is such a valid point Janet, I'm thinking now as you speak, of course, it's it's called the, the Da Vinci Institute, and that is so Da Vincian. The interdisciplinary yes. Renaissance human, thank you very much. <laughs> the Renaissance man's gone, but the Renaissance human is informed by so many different disciplines, and we're enriched by all of them. It brings a complexity, it brings a depth, and it, it brings a meaning that uh, it, it just can't happen without those other pieces of the puzzle. I'd love to get back to your uh, presentation. There's a special name for these. It's the Speaker Labs, where you'll be presenting at the PSASA convention. And your topic there is tune out the noise by adapting to different learning styles. And we've spoken a bit about the strengths and how those show up here. As we were preparing, I was uh, saying to you, I, I am an academic in recovery. And uh, this is a... a a fascinating area that just pulled me in so far when I was in in my own studies and trying to convey this because I was training teachers and when I got into learning styles it actually helped me so much to teach but to teach teaching and uh, to give something that can help every different learner light up now when we're dealing with audiences as speakers or even if we're dealing with uh, people that we're leading knowing about those learning styles can be super. Now, we're not going to let the cat out of the bag because we want people <laughs> at the convention. They really should come and experience this in person. But what's the, the, 
nutshell of different learning styles and how to be sure that different people can hear us, can take in our message. And how do you address all of them in one room? Ah, that's the that's the real question. I think, first of all, there are numerous, again, numerous lenses through which we can evaluate and appreciate learning styles. Uh, strengths is one of them. You know, mm. our strengths definitely impact on how we choose to learn, um, how we learn best. We are, we often say when, when we're coaching clients using their strengths, your strengths energize you. So when you are learning with your strengths and your strengths are being brought to bear in the, in the way that you're being asked to learn, you're energized, you're engaged, you enjoy the process. Um, so I think that's one lens. Um, I'm very, very familiar with um, Kolb's learning theory. And he's got this beautiful, beautiful um, process, learning cycle, they actually call it. But each of the four elements of the learning cycle are also ways in which people prefer to learn. Mm -hmm. And so even though we have to do all four, we each have a preference for where we begin the process and maybe a space where we will spend most time uh, while we're learning. So getting to your critical question, because again, I'm not going to let the cat out of, of, of the bag, but I think, and I often speak about this when I talk to people about facilitation, um, which, is a, which is a very hot thing for me and something I really, really aim to do extremely well. When I'm designing a facilitation process, I want to make sure that I have blended at least all four of those learning stages, which translate also into styles, into the way in which I design my facilitation. So I have exercises that are that are experiential. I have ex and those may be visual, they may be auditory, they may be, they may be whatever else okay um very often involve the arts if i possibly can so there's an experience and there are some people for whom that is going to be the moment when they trigger and they and they get it then there'll be reflective exercises and these are usually particularly valuable for the introverts the people who actually learn best when they're just able to absorb their own thoughts even the extroverts need to reflect but sometimes they reflect better by speaking <laughs> so i have activities that that are reflective exercises i have activities that help them to to form and reflect on theory on the models on the frameworks because our brain whether we realize it or not our brain is formulating models in response to the things that we learn and are exposed to. And so how am I aiding and facilitating that process? Either by giving them some models and frameworks to say, look what you just did. Um, or by giving them the opportunity. I, I mm -hmm. did an exercise once with a group of people who were looking at coaching and we were talking about coaching processes. I said, okay, I'm going to give you 15 little little pieces of paper and they all describe pieces of a coaching process but in your groups I want you to decide what that process should look like and you can add anything you want to that's not there mm. do you know that each of those groups came up with a different process and there was nothing wrong with any of them they all had elements that were right one of my favorite favorite asides is that every model is wrong but some of them are useful and then the last element that I always like to bring into to facilitation is the pragmatic, the ex, the execution, the experimentation, the practice, um, and, and giving people opportunities to actually begin to practice what it is that they're learning. The real masters are able to take one exercise and make that exercise a reflective exercise on this learning point and an experiential exercise for that learning point so that you again are getting that integration and that trans concept learning that our brains are actually so capable of and that we sometimes deny them the joy of of experiencing 
Wow, that that is so incredibly helpful, um, Janet. I'm thinking of speakers on stage, but many speakers on stage. I mean, it's lovely to think that it's all glamorous, Tony Robbins style arenas, listening to you and applauding and standing ovations and all. But the fact is, many speakers also do some kind of facilitation, training, coaching, and and all of these methods. Being able to integrate a skill like that means so much more effectiveness, right? Because what is the measure of your success as a speaker or as a trainer or as a facilitator? The results, right? Absolutely. And um, it's not even just the results. It's what do people do? Yes. What do they do differently because they were in your room? Yes. Yes. And of course, when we can answer that question to the clients who foot the bull, that yeah. is really helpful. The awareness that people in our room are going to have different approaches gives us a much more valuable offering. So this sounds like a really worthwhile session to attend because every speaker, every speaker who applies their work in different areas and anybody who ever needs to persuade anyone to do anything or even just win an argument is probably going to benefit from that process and marie maybe just to highlight the fact that it is not going to be a presentation it is a workshop yes um get to do a lab um so it will be very participative and we will definitely be considering this question of so how do you bring these facilitation principles into a keynote address is that possible is it possible for us to go through all four of these learning processes when we are delivering unilaterally to an audience which is obviously not my preferred style but it's possible can we do that so we'll explore yes. how fascinating and and to do it hands-on the labs or the workshop style presentation of that really gives a beautiful opportunity to make it what's the beautiful word you use experiential all right janet i'd love to hear from you how you see the value of a an association of professionals a, a council of peers like what you have encountered in the Professional Speakers Association of Southern Africa, where you're a member, and of course, in Professional Speakers Associations internationally for, for those of our listeners who are in other countries. Yeah. So I, I have to begin with a slight confession, and that is that I'm not nearly as involved as I would really like to be and have intended to be for actually several years. I have watched and observed the PSASA almost from a distance for probably at least five years, primarily because I was busy with my master's and I actually just had to focus and, and eliminate some things. However, my encounters with the organization and, and the incredible people who are a part of the PSASA is primarily, first thing, I cannot get over how incredibly supportive they are of each other and not just of each other, but of anybody who even comes close to the circle. There is such a beautiful sense of we're here to boost each other. There are some phenomenally successful people within the PSASA. And I never feel the sense of one-upmanship or competition there is such a wonderful, collaborative, empowering community that I honestly just want to be a part of. Mm. I think that's that's number one. That's the thing that's that just stands out for me. And then I think it is just also learning. I'm going to sound really arrogant here. Remember, I've got a learner in my top five. Okay. One of the problems with us learners is we can be a little bit snobbish about intellect and learning and we are I'm pretty number two i'm totally with you on this that is confirmed we can be pretty picky about the people with whom we associate mm. and i think that one of the 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 results of that is that we don't always find it easy to learn from people we've made an art out of learning yeah. And so I am very, very selective about the, the associations that I join. 
I join associations where I know that I'm going to learn something. It's a huge value for me. Mm. It's my learning style, you know, mm. is being in the company of people who are going to transfer their knowledge to me or who are going to share something that I find intriguing or interesting. I find that at the PSASA without question. That's amazing. That is just amazing to hear. And, and you know, the way you speak of that and relating to that very, very strongly as a learner number two, <laughs> I, I know that I want, I, I get excited by learning. You were saying a strength is something that energizes you. Now, I love to learn, but I don't always learn from people, just like, like you say. It would easily be a book or nowadays a course, a video, whatever. But um, I often miss out on the opportunity of learning from people. But at the same time, I'm really selective about how I spend my time. And yeah. if I'm going to be doing something like socializing, I want to know that it has a purpose. So I would not socialize without a purpose. I'm also not super social. Yes. So an environment like this means there is that learning environment, that supportive environment for people. It actually really addresses your different styles of learning idea as well. Because if you like to just spend time with people. You're going to get that social fix, but in a very meaningful context. If you are um, uh, very simply wanting to get started, to network, to uh, be prepared to get out into the speaking world, the PSA is a fantastic way to do it. And of course, if you want to get those uh, stripes, you know, for speaking, there's your opportunity. Go speak to speakers. Nothing, there is no scarier audience in the world, technically, than speaking to a bunch of amazing speakers. But you know what? It'll get you to up your game for sure. So Absolutely. that is really powerful. One of the other things that I've observed is that there is a phenomenal learning process in place for those who who are really focused on becoming outstanding speakers got to be said mm, absolutely that's definitely one of the great perks and as we were preparing to record today i was saying to you i do want to ask you about your experience of developing professionally through academic study versus developing professionally through an association like this. I wonder if you'd like to cast a little bit of light on that, because obviously, as you say now, we do need to prioritize and there definitely are seasons and doing something like completing a master's degree as you have done over the past years. And then with these great results, including not only stepping out of it with your master's and really seminal work that's feeding into what you are doing now, um, but also then uh, receiving your award, but at the same time, laying a foundation for speaking. For a speaker who is looking to develop professionally, if they've got 24 hours in a day, they've got a budget. If you were in that position right now and you had to choose over again, where would you put your time and money? And and this is not sponsored by, <laughs> by either option, but like which way to go? So again, I think it does depend a little bit on what you're wanting to learn. But if we're focused on becoming a thought leader, I think there are those two very distinct um, threads that have to be woven through. The one is your content and academic studies remain an amazing place for academically inclined people to really become deep experts in certain subjects. It is definitely in this day and age, not the only way that you can learn. I'm so grateful for books. <laughs> love, love, love books. Read, read, read. I love Audible. Read. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it is practical skills. Mm. And especially when it comes to, to speaking, you cannot learn to speak effectively, powerfully, dramatically in a way that enrolls people by reading a book. Mm. It's just not possible. And so this is where organizations like PSASA come in because they're really good at that skill stuff. They're not going to teach us content. They're going to teach us how to articulate, very important word in my framework, 
to articulate our message mm. in a way that is arresting, in a way that shifts how people show up. That is very powerful. Janet, thank you. My last question for you is as we are building up to the PSASA convention 2024, it's in your hometown, it's in your home chapter. So no need to buy a plane ticket or get accommodation. You can sleep in your own bed, but you're going to be there not only to uh, present your speaker lab, but also to experience the convention. What are you looking forward to most of all? <laughs> So I've never been before, confession. Ah, exciting. <laughs> I feel very privileged to have been invited to speak when I have never even participated. And I don't take that privilege lightly. Um, I think what I've observed from the outside that I am really most looking forward to is the interactions with this incredible group of people. Um, I am a relator. Mm. I love meaningful connection with my tribe. This is my tribe. And so I am really, really looking forward to that. And then I'm looking, for, looking forward to the learning. I know that I will pick up some golden nuggets um, from some, some of the people I respect most in the industry. And I'm really, really looking forward to that. And we are looking forward to having you there. Janet, I'm, I'm very excited to be meeting you in person now that we've met virtually and uh, well for all the speakers present at the event there's definitely gold to be had there for any speakers and aspiring speakers still thinking of it there's even more reason to be there janet thank you so very very much for joining us on the league of visionaries podcast marie thank you this has been such fun i really really enjoyed it i appreciate your amazing questions and look forward to seeing you in person very soon. See you there. You've been listening to the League of Visionaries podcast, brought to you by Yazi Media Virtual Media House. Yazi Media is a proud media partner to the PSASA Convention 2024. All the guests on this season of the podcast will be speaking at this premier event for speakers. Book your spot at the PSASA Convention 2024 on the PSASA website at www.psasouthernafrica.co.za.